You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. A happy Mother's Day, everybody. Wasn't that a cute video? Yeah. Uh, Dust and I uh, were laughing. I was editing that video late last night and late the night before, and uh, we were sitting in our bed just giggling and laughing so much at these cute little kids. There, I mean, I wish we could have played. There was like 20 minutes of footage. I wish we could have played all of it, but, uh, you know, just even them getting ready and uh, standing there and squirming and trying to hold them still. It was just so cute. So you guys have a lot of really cute kids. And uh, a, a few of the videos, what happened, uh, Vanessa did an awesome job, but a few of them, they were like getting all ready and she's like kind of getting them in focus and adjusting it. I have this on the video and then, okay, here we go. And then it stops. So like she meant to press record, but it was already recording. So I actually pressed stop. I know we've all done that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so if your kids said that they were supposed to be on the video and they weren't, that's why they're not on there. But just ask them to share with you personally uh, what they love about you. Uh, so if you're visiting with us today, we're really grateful that you're here and uh, you're in part two. We're in part two today of a, of a new series that we decided to call Brand New. Uh, awesome creative idea for a new, brand new series, right? Um, if, you, uh, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go to our website, uh, southbaychurch.us, and you can catch up. We have uh, all our sermons are there. If you click on sermons, you can see all of our sermons and listen to those. You can download them or stream them. And then also we're adding video of our services as well. So there's also a link that says video. If you go to that, that goes to our YouTube channel and uh, there's videos there. So you can see the video from last week. Uh, but I encourage you to, to, to listen and, and catch up. You can also podcast on, if you are an iTunes person, you can also go through iTunes, search for South Bay Church. There's two of them, but you'll see which one is ours because you'll see teeny little pictures of Paulette singing and you know people from our group. You go, oh, that's, uh, that's our South Bay Church one. Uh, so uh, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast. That would be awesome. Uh, so anyway, catch up. Uh, but uh, what we're talking about with this series is how the church is something so different than what you see in churches today. And, and the church in the, that Jesus established is so different still than what we see, and especially what we see in church history. And so the title of the lesson today is How We Got Here. We're going to be talking about how did we get to this point? What happened with the church? What happened in church history? We're going to look at Paul and the book of Galatians and kind of what happened right there in the beginning of the, the initial stages of the church development, and then sort of what happened over 2,000 years of time uh, what happened in, in church history and how we got here. Uh, Paul said this in Galatians. We'll be looking at Galatians today. So if you want to go and turn there in your Bible or on your phone or whatever you've got, uh, you can get, get the Bible free. We, my son and I were talking about how amazing it is that you can get the Bible free uh, on, online. It's so cool that the world has access to the Bible. And I, I'm praying that God's going to do something with that. But uh, anyway, Galatians 1, it says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul was saying that the, the church was already shifting away from what Jesus established. Already, right there in the first few years, and Paul was warning against that. And So we're going to talk about what was he talking about in that verse? What was he talking about there? But first, a review from last week. Before Jesus came on the scene, uh, you had what was known as the, what we call the temple model. And this is not just in, in Christianity, but this, I mean, not just in Judaism, but also 
even what came before, like with the Egyptians or what was concurrent with Judaism, like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans. There was this, the Persians, this idea that there were sacred places and sacred texts and sacred men and sincere followers that would go to those sacred places and read, hear from those, sincere, uh, those sacred texts that were read by the sacred men. That was the way you drew close to God. And Jesus came and brought something totally new, totally different. And, and yet there was thousands of years of this. So people were kind of resistant. They didn't get it. Even his own followers, as we're going to see, in some ways had a hard time with this new way of thinking. We can all have difficulty with something entirely new. Uh, you know, my, my uh, grandmother, and, and I, I recognize this the older I get. Uh, I have an awesome mom and an awesome grandmother who uh, passed away years ago. But I, I have so many great memories of my grandmother. But as she got older, uh, she, was, she had had a fall, and so she was confined to her bed. And uh, I went to visit her. We were in Chicago. She could kind of move around a little bit, but she was in bed a lot of the day up in her room. And, and uh, my grandparents had this. It was awesome as a kid growing up. You know how you love going to grandma's house, right? And uh, her house was so cool because there was a basement and then the ground floor and then upstairs and then the attic. So there was four floors of exploration. And you know how a kid, you know every little corner of every little place. Uh, but she was up on the second floor in her bed when, after she had this fall. And it was really difficult getting up and down the stairs. And so I thought I would help out as I was there visiting. My mom was there and my sister was there. I thought I would help out because she's just stick, sitting in bed for so many hours. And so I took this TV that was from their kitchen and I brought it up to her room for her to be able to watch TV. And it was so funny, her reaction. It was as if I had torn out, you know, a wing of the house or something, you know, bringing the TV up. Oh, no, 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 that can't be in here. Oh, you know, like because it was something new. And she lived in this house for many, many years and so a change was like she was resistant to that. And I remember it made a strong impression on me. But the older I get, you know, I'm 45 years old. I see, oh, yeah, I like things. I like things to stick. I like things to stay. I like things that I, I like my routine. I don't want to change. Right. And uh, th that's just what happens to us. And so you imagine these people who are following these th this this model for so many hundreds of years and had been passed on from their, their parents, and gener intergenerational, Jesus brings something totally new. It was hard for, for people to get. Uh, and it was the younger people that got it initially. Jesus was 30 years old, and his followers were much younger than him. And the older religious people, they had a hard time with that. So if we're older, you know, you can apply that to you if you want. But if you're an older religious person... <laughs> You know, you got to kind of go, OK, am I still fresh in my perspective? Am I still open to Jesus and him leading me and teaching me and, and learning new things? So here's a few of the things that Jesus taught uh, with the with his model. I think I just exited. How do I go back? Let's see, sorry, I clicked the wrong button. Put me back on the right place. There we go. Thank you. OK, the Jesus model. Jesus brought a new covenant. He, as, as they took communion, we're going to take communion here in a little bit today. As they celebrated a Passover, Jesus said, I want you to now remember my body and my blood, which is given for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. And so no, no longer are we reconciled to God through sacred men and sacred texts and sacred places. And, but now we're reconciled through the body and blood of Christ. And it's a new covenant in his blood. We can have a right relationship with God because he, what, what he did on the cross for us. He brought a new relationship as Jesus taught to us how to pray, as he taught his followers to pray. He, he said to pray to God as your daddy. That, that, that was totally new. Uh, God wasn't just this creator God that we're all afraid of. God could be our daddy. 
because of that covenant relationship, because of his blood, we could be brought into a sonship relationship with Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how that happens today. He brought a new movement, and and, uh, Dustin kind of alluded to this, but when Jesus used the word church, he only used it one time, but he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that word church uh, in in the original language in the Greek is ekklesia, which means the gathering, a movement, a a collection of people, a congregation of people. And uh, for, for reasons I won't go into right now, it was translated in English with this German word that means house of the Lord, and it means a place, it means a, a structure. And so that's been carried down to us even today when people think of church, they think of a place, they think of a sacred building, they think of a location, they don't think of a movement, they don't think of a people. And so that's something that's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus didn't come to establish a place. Jesus came to establish a people. And that's what we believe, and that's why we're here. That's why we're here in a, in a school and not in a church building. There's nothing wrong with church buildings, but uh, we talked about how sometimes when we invite people to our church, they kind of look at us funny when we say we meet in a high school. Uh, you guys can't afford a building. Well, it's just where we're putting our resources. You know, we're, we're really trying to invest in people. We're trying to invest in being a movement and changing the world and changing South Bay. And so, you know, this is a great place to meet, and we're, we're grateful for it. But uh, he brought a new movement. Jesus also brought a new command. He said, a new command I give you in John 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And Jesus displayed his love for us in so many ways. And he said his new command was that we would love each other the way that he loved us. And not only that, but he said, that's the way that people will know you're a disciple is by your love for each other. Disciple is a word the Bible uses for a Christian. Uh, how will we know somebody's a Christian? By their love. That's different than Christians in, in the world. You know, a lot of times, you know, Christians in the world by their lack of love, right? By how judgmental they are. Uh, you know, one of the teens was sharing how her, her friend at school was saying how the Bible taught that we need to hate gays. The Bible doesn't teach we need to hate gays. You know, the Bible teaches we need to love people, right? And so, so vertical, vertical is shown by horizontal. Our, our love for God, our connection to God is shown by how we love people who are sometimes hard to love. That shows that we're disciples. And so uh, it's a whole new model, a whole new way of, of thinking. Love would replace law keeping. Self-sacrifice would replace animal sacrifice. The evidence that you're a Jesus follower isn't how well you pray or how consistently you attend church. It's how well you love people who are not easy to love. Jesus even uh, told this in, in, the, in some of his teaching. He said, if you're going to the temple and you have a sacrifice and then you're, you're about to offer something to God, but you remember, oh, I have an issue with this other brother. Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar. Don't even go forward with it. Go first be reconciled to your brother. That's a whole new concept than the temple model. The temple model is I don't care about anybody else. It's just I'm just going to offer my, I'm going to be right with God. But, but the Jesus model is being right with God and being right with others are related. And, and so it, it's, not, it's not like, you know, some people you can't be right with, but the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone and show humility and show love and show respect and show Jesus to others. And the thing about the Jesus model is it's far less complicated, but it's far more demanding. It's far less complicated, but it's far more demanding. It's simple. Jesus is just love God, love people, pray for your enemies, love those who persecute you. It's simple, but it's really hard. And sometimes we can be afraid uh, because it's scary to love. It's scary to 
exert yourself. And it's hard to stay self-sacrificing. You know, it's hard to keep giving. It's, it's hard to, to be like Jesus. You know, so it's something we, we got to go back to every single day and, uh, and recommit ourselves. Um, something I'll, I'll just mention, I, I got to recommit myself to. I, at the beginning of the year, I said, okay, I'm going to pray for everybody here. And we have a, a community database called CCB. If you're uh, interested in getting more connected to the church, if you go to our website, southbaychurch.us, you can sign up for a login. And this is kind of our, our online community. It's called Church Community Builder, CCB. And so I, at the beginning of the year, I said, okay, I'm going to go on there and I'm going to look through all the names and I'm going to pray for everybody in the ministry. Obviously, I can't pray for every person here every day, but I'm going to spend some time every day praying for, you know, working through, working through the singles and the teens and the marrieds and kind of praying for everybody. And so I started doing that. It was great for my heart, but you know what? It lasted a few weeks. And then, oh, I got to do that. And then I do another day or two. And then I, 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 and in my prayer time becomes all about me and my issues and my things and my struggles. And, and I forget, I got to pray for my brothers and sisters. The Bible commands us to pray for each other. Uh, Paul says that, you know, that's the best way we show love for each other is praying for each other. So I want to commit to you. I'm going to get back on track with that and praying for you specifically. And, and it just helps my heart to, to be like Jesus and not be all about myself. So as Dustin said, we talked about don't go to church, be the church. That church is not a place that you go, it's who we are. It's who we are collectively, it's who we are together. And so this week the title is How We Got Here. How We Got Here. Uh, moms are good at explaining how we got here and, and the, the context and who we are and where we come from. And uh, I remember asking my mom how I got here as a little, little kid. And I don't really remember what she told me, uh, but I know that I remember in my mind having a picture of a, of a toilet bowl <laughs> and thinking the toilet bowl was somehow involved. <laughs> and, and I think the reason is because she probably said something about that place that, where you go to the bathroom. It, it involves that, the place where you go to the bathroom. And she was trying to explain to me how we got here, you know, how it works. And, you know, when a, when a husband and wife love each other and so-and-so and, you know, the place where you go to the bathroom. So in my mind, I had this vision of a toilet bowl <laughs> being involved. TMI, somebody said. <laughs> uh, we, we live in a world where sex is in our face, so we got to be able to talk about it at church. Uh, so, you know... Uh, Sometimes, you know, as, as, we're, as we grow as, as a family, sometimes we kind of go, how, we, how did we get here? Uh, my wife and I, when we have three kids. They're now uh, 17, 14, and 11. But when they were lit, I remember driving in the car, our, our, uh, and we had all three in the back seat. And they were all just screaming bloody murder at the same time. <laughs> about probably different things, but all three are just screaming at the top of the lungs. And Dust and I looked at each other, and we just sort of laughed and said, how did we get here? <laughs> How did we get here? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's what we're talking about. That's right. So how did we get here as a church? How did, the ch how did the church get off of what Jesus originally intended? So we're going to be looking at this in Galatians. Basically, the idea is that the temple model has a way of creeping back in. And the temple model thinking has a way of creeping back in. And this happened even really early on in the beginning of the Christian church. Uh, the book of Galatians is actually uh, most likely the very first book of the New Testament as far as written down. The first book that was written down. It was probably written about 47 A.D. And you think about it, that's really early. If Jesus was, was crucified in 33 A.D., 
47 AD is not much later. And uh, this was, was written before the Jerusalem Council, which we'll talk about in a second. That was in 50 AD. And so Paul wrote this. And the story of who it was written to, it, it, Galatia is not a city. Galatia is an area. It's a province, a Roman province that's in modern-day Turkey. And, and so Galatia covers these different cities where Paul, Paul uh, became a disciple. He was a persecutor of the churches we're going to talk about in a, in, a, in a little bit. And he became a follower of Jesus, though, and he ended up being a, an important part of the church in Antioch, which was the first big church where non-Jews started becoming disciples. And uh, it's thought that Antioch got to be 10,000 p- disciples. It got to be a really big church, a very significant church in the early, uh, early days. But Barnabas, who was uh, uh, kind of a, a head teacher there in Antioch, and Saul, as he was called, uh, Saul is his uh, Jewish name, Paul is his Roman name. So they, they left Antioch and went off on a missionary journey to plant churches. And they would go into a synagogue where the Jews were. They would speak to them about Jesus. Now, Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things that were said in the, about him. And then uh, they would reach some Jews there. And then they would also reach out to the non-Jews. And so you had these churches that they were planting where you had Jews and non-Jews becoming Christians. And uh, so the so, uh, book of Galatians was written, these, these places, uh, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Derby, Lystra. You read those stories in the book of Acts of Paul planting those churches. So after he planted those churches, he goes back to Antioch. Paul goes back to Antioch. And what happens is these other missionaries, these Jewish missionaries come along behind Paul. And they start teaching uh, the, the church that those who are non-Jew need to as well be Jews. Like in order to be a part of Jesus's flock, in order to be a part of the ecclesia, you need to be a Jew as well as follow Jesus. Because uh, Christianity was kind of based on Judaism and, and Jesus and all his followers were Jewish. Uh, the early church was all Jewish. You kind of understand why they had this rationale, but they, you know, if you haven't been circumcised, you're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to follow all of the law. We're going to teach you the law. And, you know, the Jews grew up with the law. That's how they learned to read was reading the law. And, and those that were scholarly like Paul memorized the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all memorized. Because that was the way they, that was school for them. And so can you imagine being a non-Jew and being told, okay, here it is, the book of the law. And you got to memorize it. You got to follow all these regulations. Here's how the animal sat. I mean, anybody here ever read Leviticus? It's a little overwhelming. You know, can you imagine being a Roman? Okay, now here, here it is. This is what you got to do. And, and so that's what they were telling these Gentile believers that you got to now be a Jew. And Paul says, no, no, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. And he says, uh, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, he says in verse 7. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And when you read Galatians, remember, this is the first book Paul ever wrote. He's a fairly you know, a younger disciple. He's got a lot of emotion. He's got a lot of zeal. And you see a change in Paul as you read his writings over time. But here he's like, these guys who are telling you this, let them go to hell, he says. Let them be eternally condemned, it says in, in some passages, in some translations. He's riled up against this, these guys. Why? Because he doesn't, want, he doesn't want a perversion of the Jesus model. 
He doesn't want to, he sees the danger of trying to bring temple model thinking in with Jesus model thinking. It doesn't work together. And if anybody had a reason to understand the temple model, it was Paul. You know, he he describes a little bit about himself. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In another passage, Paul says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, we, we know who Pharisees were. They were, the, they were totally, everything about their religion was all the things that you do. And I'm right with God because I do this and because I do that and because I do this. And they were very meticulous about keeping the law. Paul says, not only was I a Pharisee, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like I was the best of the best of the Pharisees. He was the product of the temple model. And yet everything changed for Paul. He, he saw Christianity as totally wrong because it was so different than the temple model. So much so that what it took for him to be converted was for the risen Lord to appear to him personally. And strike him with blindness. And so Paul was struck with blindness and for three days he fasted and prayed. And then uh, three days later, Ananias comes to him and, and he gets baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. And now he becomes a follower of Jesus. Ananias was scared to death to go talk to Paul. When, when, when uh, Jesus or God tells Ananias, you need to go talk. He tells him in a vision, you need to go see this guy, Saul, who's praying. Ananias is like, wait, you don't know who he is, Lord. <laughs> this is the guy who's killing Christians. And God's like, look, I think I know who he is. I want you to go. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Like, I've got a plan for Paul. I've got a plan for him. So Saul becomes a disciple. And, and so he, he understands the temple model and he understands the Jesus model. And so he's warning the Galatians in this letter not to allow that thinking back in. And uh, in Galatians 2, uh, we're not going to have time to read all of it. But there's an interesting story that he recounts about Cephas. Cephas is also the apostle Peter. Those are, those are two different names for, for Peter. Uh, Cephas is, is one of the, the names of, of Peter. And so when he's talking about Peter, he, he, he's not real positive in what he has to say about Peter. And uh, in fact, here's what he says. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James was the brother of Jesus who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That's who I'm talking about, the Judaizers. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Paul says what, what Cephas was doing was wrong. He, he, he used to hang out with the Gentiles. He was getting it. And, and, and Jesus himself had to appear to Peter to, to remind him, no, this is not just for Jews. This is for all people, all nations, all ethnicities, for everybody. They had to keep being reminded of that because it was hard to get because they were so temple model in their thinking. But Paul said, Paul, who did get it, he said, I oppose Peter to his face. I said, you know, this is not right what you're doing. So Peter, you know, he's hanging out with the Gentile brothers. Then these Jews come and suddenly it's like he disses them. Why? Because Jews didn't relate to Gentiles. They didn't hang out with Gentiles. They didn't eat with Gentiles. The Gentiles were unclean. So he disses the Gentile brothers. Now imagine, you know, being a Gentile brother there in Antioch 
or a brother or sister, and, and you know, you're hanging out with Peter, and then these other guys show up from the church in Jerusalem, and suddenly he's like, won't return your calls. You know, how would you feel? You'd feel like, man, this leader is dissing me. And, and this is kind of a side note, but I want to make sure you know, leaders will mess up. Leaders are sinful people. We are all just, that's the thing about the Jesus model. We're all the same. There's no holy men and then the rest of us. We're all just sinners who God forgives and uses even though we're imperfect. And so sinners are, imp- uh, leaders are imperfect people. And I, I've, I've showed this scripture before and this story before to people who want to leave our church because some leader did them wrong. It's like, it doesn't mean it's not the church of God. It doesn't mean it's not the church of Christ. It's just Peter messed up. And what, what did God do? He used Paul to get Peter back on track. And I, and I, I appreciate that, that God used, we, he uses us to help each other get back on track. And so if somebody in the church hasn't sinned against you, they will. But when they do, it doesn't mean it's not God's church. It doesn't mean it's not the truth. Because it's not about, you know, it, it's about the, the truth of God. It's about the truth of Jesus, not each other. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So anyway, so he, he says in verse 14, I don't know if I put this on the screen here. Yeah, I did. Okay, verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith into Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul is getting Peter back on track with the Jesus model. We're not, we're not justified by the law. We're not justified by the temple model anymore. We're justified by faith in Jesus. We're justified by grace in his blood. And, and I appreciate that, you know, this, this is a, a public letter written to all these churches of Galatia that's definitely throwing Peter under the bus. Definitely throwing Peter under the bus. Uh, but you know what I appreciate about Peter is if you, if you look, we don't have time to turn there, but if you look at Acts 15, you can read that this week, uh, about the Jerusalem council. This happens three years later. So the, this council in Jerusalem is held because this is happening not just in these churches in Galatia, but in several churches. It's this disagreement. Do the Gentile believers have to be Jews also or not? That became a huge crisis in the early church. And so they have this council where all the the kind of who's who of the early church comes together in Jerusalem, and, and it's recorded in Acts 15. Paul at this point is still, he's not like the man. He's, he's just kind of a, a side thing. You know, he's doing the Jew thing. He's doing the Gentile thing. We've got, it's mostly Jewish believers in the fellowship at this point. But Peter in Acts 15, he, he, he gives this address to the group that sounds just like this. Like basically, you know, Paul tells, tells Peter, you know, you're not even a very good Jew. And so for you to claim that these Gentiles have to be Jews, that's not the way it works, Peter. And, and, and so when Peter gets up to address the, uh, the group, he says basically, you know what, guys, we Jews, we have not even been able to keep the law. So why are we going to say these Gentile believers have to keep the law? We've been justified by, by grace as well. We haven't been justified by following the law. And that's the same for these Gentile believers. We can't keep them from being justified by grace. And so it's cool because you see that Paul had a huge impact on Peter. And so Peter's address there in Acts 15 is, is right in line with Paul. And, and the point of that is that we need each other. Even, even big time leaders like Paul, the Apostle Peter hung out with Jesus himself. Yeah. 
He was like his number one guy. And yet this outsider, Paul, is able to have a huge impact on Peter. I just appreciate that about, about the early church and how much we really need each other. And Paul kind of sums up the gospel here in this verse. If you don't have this verse memorized, I really encourage you to memorize this verse. I'll give you that challenge. Memorize Galatians 2.20. This is one to keep with you as you carry, you know, carry it along in your life. Because this really is the Jesus model right here in a nugget form. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul is telling Peter, this is still part of his quote to Peter. He's saying, this is how the the Jesus model works. Jesus died for us. And so he said to follow him, we die to ourselves for others. We love others as he loved us. That's the Jesus model. Is we look at Jesus and we go, I want to be more like that to the people around me. And I don't even want to live anymore. It's no longer me who lives. It's Jesus living in me. Like I need to be Jesus to those around me, to my family, to my friends, in my school, in my neighborhood, at my job. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am now Jesus to them. That's hard. You know, you want to tell your coworker, hey, I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus for you. <laughs> and then watch them, watch them criticize your every move, right? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to be like Jesus. But that's, that's where we even, I, I mean, I've told coworkers before, like, that I, where I blew it and lost my temper. Or I did something wrong. You know, like, look, I'm trying to be a Christian and I messed up here. And I'm, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And they're like, what? Like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't process. You're not supposed to show no weakness in the office. You know what I mean? But, but, you, but we, when we really do love like Jesus, when we really do act like Jesus, it's amazing the impact that we can have. So uh, I want to show you one more verse in Galatians, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how do we get from Galatians to today. One more verse in, in chapter 3. So in chapter 3, uh, it's interesting because Paul makes this argument for the, the Jesus model from the Old Testament, from uh, being children of Abraham. And why was he doing that for Gentiles? Probably because that was what the Judaizers had done. The circumcision group had probably pointed to the Old Testament and said, look, here's why you have to be a Jew. Paul uses the same passages, the same text, the same Old Testament to say, no, you don't. You're justified by faith. Even Abraham was justified by faith. So we're justified, justified by faith. And he says, here's how we're justified by faith in, in Galatians 3, 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray to God as our father, our daddy. You're children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So when we're baptized, we're clothed with Christ. And that's the, that's the point in which our, our old life is, is done away with and, and we become born again. We become new. We become a new person. That's what baptism is supposed to mean. And baptism is something that's gotten off in a lot of churches today. Because, because of temple model thinking, as we're going to talk about in a minute, the church got so over here with you have to do this and have to do that, that baptism was seen as a work or earning something. And yet Paul is in a book talking about salvation by grace, not by works. Yeah. That's the whole point of this book. And yet he does say, this is, this is how we're saved by grace. This is how we're saved through faith. This is when we become children of God, when we're baptized, that we're clothed with Christ. And now we're, now we're ambassadors for him. Now there's no more Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female or, you know, blood or crip or Republican or Democrat. <laughs> we're all one in Christ Jesus. 
We're all the same. Amen? That's the church of God. That's the church of Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. I don't know if we have any Bloods or Crips here today, but this is for you guys or gals. So the next, let me see how much time I have. My thing went to sleep. Oh my gosh, I have two minutes. Okay. So in a, you give me three or four. So how did we get to here? How do we, so from there, how do we get to where we are today? So just real quickly, and, and I'll talk about this more another time, but uh, in 70 AD, so, so Jerusalem Council was 50 AD. 70 AD, the church, the, the temple, the, the, the temple, Solomon's temple was destroyed uh, by the Romans, brought to the ground, leveled. Jesus prophesied that that would happen. He said, you know, you see this beautiful building? Not one stone will remain on the other. The whole thing is going to be wiped out. So Jesus told the Christians, this is going to happen when you see it coming. Get out of the city, flee to the hills, get out of Jerusalem, because this is coming, this destruction. And, and it did. In 70 AD, the whole temple was destroyed. All kinds of Jews were killed. Uh, it was a horrible massacre. The Christians were not because they got out of the city like Jesus had prophesied and told them to do. But it was almost as if God was saying, yes, the temple model is done. In fact, the temple itself has been destroyed. And so even to this day, you've seen the Wailing Wall? That's all that's left of the, of the original temple. And so that, th these, these Hasidic Jews, they go there and they wail, they, they mourn at that wall because the temple has been destroyed still. 2,000 years later, there's still mourning that destruction that happened in 70 AD. But why did that happen? Because we are the temple now. The new Jesus model, we are the temple of God. And each one of us is a part of it, 1 Peter says. And so that's the way it's supposed to work. But, but so, so over time, then the, the early Christians, they really had the Jesus model down. I mean, th they had this issue here with the Jerusalem Council, but then that got resolved and they really were loving their neighbors as themselves. They really were representing Jesus to each other. And it's interesting to read some of the things that the Romans said about the Christians. Like by like like it'd be like reading a People magazine article about this cult. You know what I mean? To see what what did what did people say? That's the way that Romans viewed it as like this cult of this weird guy uh, that claimed to raise from the dead. And so what did they say about it? Well, they said what they said about the Christians wasn't all oh, they're judgmental, they're prideful, they're hypocrites. You know, if you ask people today to criticize Christians, you know, what they think about Christians who are non-Christians, those are the things they would say, right? Oh, they're, they're judgmental. They don't really love people. They say one thing, do something else. They're hypocrites. You know, that's, that's kind of the reputation for the church. Uh, over in the Middle East, Mufid and Jesse were here uh, sh sharing with us a couple weeks ago. And they said that, that's a reputation there. In the Muslim world, they look at Americans as completely fallen. You know, they look at our media. They look at our movies. They look at our, you know, the stuff that we do. It's like, oh, my gosh, the great Satan. That's what they call us. Because... And, and really, it's not much different in the quote-unquote Christian world, you know, the morality of, 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 of that. So, but, but that was not at all true in the first century. That what the Romans said about the Christians was, these people are so loving. These people are so giving. These people, not only do they care for their own poor, they're taking care of our poor. It's embarrassing. You know, the, the Romans didn't really value human life. Like, they would throw out babies. They would throw out kids. And, and the Christians would take that baby and then raise them in the church. Or they would take this orphan and they would raise them in the church. Or they would take this person who was, who was hurting and not, a, not even a Christian, but they would help them. Like that was their reputation with the Romans. 
was, was loving the poor and, and, and serving and giving and not being afraid of death. The, the Romans are like, I don't understand how these people are not afraid of death. We kill them and they go to their, they go to their death singing songs. They, they, they go to their death rejoicing. Woohoo, I get a better resurrection in heaven because I'm being tortured. Like it just does not process to the Roman brain. And so, so the church was really kept pure by persecution. Then in the 300s, something happens that changed the tide in a big way. And that is the emperor himself, Constantine, became a Christian. Whether he became a true Christian or not, I don't know. But I know that what his mindset of being a Christian was, okay, now I'm going to wage war in the name of this cross. And now it's going to be a holy Roman empire. The problem was the empire was way more Roman and way more empire than it was holy. And, and so he gave all these benefits to the church and gave all these benefits to being a Christian. And he kind of elevated, like you had these leaders in these different ecclesias. They were called bishops or, or elders. They were kind of in charge of the group there. But he kind of gave, he elevated that role. Let's build them a big thing and let's do this and let's give them a lot of money. And let's, so at first it seems good, right? Oh, wow, the emperor's on our side. This is awesome. But what happens is suddenly all these people, they flood the church. The church had been like, 5%, 4% of the Roman Empire, it becomes like 60% of the Roman Empire. And so the church becomes very corrupt. It went from being a persecuted minority to being an empowered majority. And you can imagine what happened with that. All these people flood into the church and they bring along with them their temple model thinking. And so before, when you used to, used to worship Athena, now we're going to worship Mary. And before, when you used to have all these gods for this and a god for that and a god for this and a god for that, now we have a saint for this and a saint for that and a saint for this and a saint for that. And all these things that are not in the Bible at all. When you study with somebody who's come from a traditional religious background and they start reading the Bible, they're like, what? There's no rosary in here? There's no, there's no Hail Mary in here? There, I, what? Like, like it doesn't, because it got so far off. And it got so far off in the, in the dark ages where uh, the way to evangelize is torture people until they say they're okay. You know, are you a real Christian? Well, let's see. Let's let's put you in this torture device and see the Spanish Inquisition. You know, let's see if you're a real Christian. We'll torture you and see if you're, you know, it's amazing how far off it got. It's, it's it got so dark. Uh, the cell of indulgences like th this was a thing where you go could go because you're, you're only forgiven if you are forgiven by the priest. Right. That was the what happened. The sacred guy, the sacred text, the sacred place. You go there, you get forgiven by the priest. That's what adapted. That's what happened. So so then they had this thing called the sale of indulgences where where, OK, I'm going to sin big time next weekend. So I'm going to give a bunch of money. So that's going to forgive my sin kind of in advance. That was what an indulgence was. It was to raise money for the church. We're going to raise money by selling indulgences. I mean, it got really dark. And so the Reformation, which we, hear, we study in school in the 1600s, was a reaction to all of that. And so here we are, you know, many years later in the 2000s, we're, we're still trying to get away from that temple model and still trying to get back to the Jesus model. And there's ways we still need to get there. There's ways in, in our church we still let temple model thinking in and we need to have Jesus model thinking. So that's why we're doing this series and talking about this. Next week, uh, Mark's going to be talking about what does, love, what does love require me? What does it mean to really love people? That's what Jesus, being a Christian, really is, is going, look at a situation and go, what do I need to do to love? What do I need to do to show love? And what does that mean in a practical sense? And a lot of times what keeps us from showing love is fear. And so uh, uh, Dustin is going to be speaking about pushing past that fear 
to really having the love that we need to have. I'm going to close with one story and then uh, we're going to have a communion, a combo uh, mother-son communion for Mother's Day. Uh, so w- one more story about uh, the, the church being off track. Don't always, if, if you're a guest today, if you are kind of new to this, and, and, and hopefully I didn't bore you with my trip through the ages of, of the Christian church, but, but if, if you kind of don't really get it, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. And just because something says it's the church, it doesn't mean it's the church. So a lot of times people's, uh, people's criticism of the church and all these horrible things done in the name of Christianity, that was not Christianity. And, and so I just encourage you to examine for you, yourself what the church really is. What, is the, what does the Bible really say? What does the church really say? I was in Burbank last week, and it was late at night, uh, and I was trying to get some, some food late at night. I hadn't had dinner. It's like 9, 30, 10 at night. And so I was in this drive through line, and there was this hotel over here, and it's kind of some shady characters, you know, and they were kind of walking out of the hotel, walking towards me, and you know that, you know, lock your door, you know, I'm going to lock my door. <laughs> and, uh, but, but this shady hotel, it was really shady. Like, it, it had, uh, it had the, um, it had the, the, each of the uh, rooms has the, the air conditioner hanging on the outside, and there was a cage around it, like, to keep somebody from stealing the air conditioner. And, uh, you know, it was a little run down. And so I look over at this hotel, and then I look at the name of the hotel, and the name of the hotel was Quality Inn. <laughs> and it just made me think, just because you name it the Quality of Inn, Quality Inn, doesn't mean it has quality. It doesn't mean it's an inn. And uh, it's kind of like that with the church. You've got to really examine just because of a name, it doesn't mean it's r- the real thing. And so I just encourage you to get to the real thing. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.